Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, May 5th, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast and happy Cinco de Mayo. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity each of them considered investing thoroughbreds in their specific fields. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Cindy Honcharenko, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's news, the narrative was dominated by two pieces of information, one on the overall employment front and two on the Federal Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee on Wednesday. On the employment front, we start with earlier in the week, the JOLTS Report Job Opening Report Labor Turnover Survey provided by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which showed a decline in the overall job openings across America at 9.6 million in March, down from 9.9 million in February. Yesterday, initial unemployment claims for the prior week were at 242,000, slightly above the former week at 230,000. And finally, just this morning, the employment situation came out at 8.30 with new non-farm payrolls increasing 253,000 for the month of April. However, there were negative revisions to both February and March, which canceled out some of the positive news of the job growth for April. In addition, the overall unemployment rate went down a bit at 3.4% for April, down from 3.5% in March. All of these employment data give a slightly mixed picture, but do give us signs that the overall employment market is cooling a bit. And turning to the Federal Open Market Committee on Wednesday meeting, the Fed decided to raise rates again 25 basis points, taking the Fed funds rate up to a range of five to five and a quarter. So the question now becomes, has the Fed crossed the finish line in terms of raising rates this hiking cycle? Or are they still on the home stretch looking for a couple more increases as they go forward for a few more furlongs in the race? So, Cindy, let's turn to you. What did the Fed do? What did the Fed say? And what do we think the perspective is for the future? Cindy? So the FOMC delivered a broadly anticipated 25 basis point hike on Wednesday and opened the door to an extended pause beginning soon possibly as early as next meeting, June 13th and 14th. As expected, the officials left an implied tightening bias in place. The biggest takeaway from the post-meeting press conference for me was the official, uh, the removal of the sufficiently restrictive policy stance. And that was something that Fed Chair Powell highlighted as a meaningful change. Uh, during the press conference. Instead, the statement more ambivalently suggested that incoming data will inform policymakers' assessment of whether additional firming may be appropriate. In terms of gleaning clues toward the tone of the first quarter senior lending officer opinion survey, 
which was a fundamental factor influencing the May rate decision. The official statement indicated that tighter credit conditions were due to weigh on the economy and inflation with uncertain timing and magnitude. In the press conference, Powell described the Senior Lending Officer Opinion Survey, or SLUs, that continue to reflect a smaller and mid-tier bank, reflect smaller and mid-tier banks restricting credit in response to recent events. From this meeting, I think we can expect that Powell pretty much teed up a pause. Uh, the Fed has completed their tightening cycle from my perspective. Uh, we would need to see upside surprises in labor and inflation combined with material reduction in banking sector stresses uh, to, uh, to change that, that pause to a rate hike at, at, at this stage. So I think, Cindy, as I kind of uh, listen to what you said in, in, in capturing that, um, that, 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 that summary from the Fed, I think, I think there were almost like two parts of the, the meeting this week from the Fed, as I see it. I mean, the first, of course, was the statement themselves. The Fed puts out their statement like clockwork every meeting at 2.15, and it seems kind of benign. And then we had the press conference thereafter that you talked about as well. And so I think what I kind of took away from this, um, this moment is that inflation is probably slowing enough and we have conditions tightening. You know, we have the banking system that's starting to slow down its lending and, and starting to maybe contract a little bit. So inflation is slowing enough because of those two things that the Fed is considering pausing, as you mentioned. So it seems like a pause is kind of more likely, and maybe they are in fact done with raising interest rates. On the other hand, the labor market, and we got more evidence of that this morning that Brian mentioned, the labor market is still frankly tight enough. So the Fed is not considering pivoting and cutting rates. And the market, as we've talked about now for gosh, I don't know how many months. Uh, the market is kind of anticipating or hoping perhaps that the Federal Reserve cuts rates sometime later this year. And right now, it doesn't seem like that's likely either. So I, I think the real big U-turn, though, kind of came uh, from the fact that maybe the Fed was a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe a bit cavalier with respect to some of the stresses in the banking system. Um, you know, we've got the situation that's still going on right now where we're kind of moving, I think, from what we might call the acute phase, where there are a couple isolated events to something more chronic, where Many institutions are kind of struggling with, with maybe lateral lending and some other things as well that are causing probably think people to think about this from a broader perspective. So we'll kind of get to that point in time. That's kind of a natural part of the business cycle. It just takes time to resolve that. But it does suggest that growth will slow at some point, and, uh, and we'll kind of start to see the economy decelerate perhaps in the back half of this year. So one thing I think that we have to pay attention to, you mentioned this SLUs report. We'll talk about that next week, uh, which, again, is kind of a key reading with respect to what banks are thinking about doing with their own lending going forward. That number, uh, by the way, I think was probably like in the mid-40s, so about 44%, I think, of U.S. banks, when they last surveyed, suggest that they were actually pulling credit back. That was actually pre-SVB, you know, pre-Silicon Valley Bank. And so, again, as you mentioned, we'll get that data next Monday, I think, and that number is probably going to be, I would guess, double that. I mean, it could probably be 80 plus percent. It's not surprising to see many banks kind of starting to kind of pull back when they're kind of uncertain about where things are going from the economy's perspective and also seeing other things kind of cause things to slow down. Again, that's a natural part of the business cycle. It's going to feel kind of uh, probably a, a little painful here and there. So, again, I think we're kind of in, in store for maybe some more volatility in the short term. But I still look, Rajiv, at the credit markets as kind of our key to kind of think about 
where things are heading really from a fundamental perspective. There's a lot of emotion inside the, uh, the market these days, but if you boil it down to kind of just the strength or maybe the resiliency of the credit market, I don't think things are really falling apart yet there uh, as I see it. What do you see though? Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, George. I mean, I think that, you know, the credit markets have been very resilient. We've seen it last year as well. We came into this year with credit spreads moving tighter quite a bit. Um, these companies are very well capitalized. They've taken advantage of rates when they were low. They've done all the right things. So corporate bonds, uh, especially in the investment grade world, have been very, very steady throughout all the volatility that we've seen, whether it's coming from monetary policy or whether the banking crisis. We've also seen in high yield as well with spreads remaining pretty contained. If you have uh, high yield spreads inside 500 basis points on an OAS, an option adjusted spread, that's a pretty strong indication that uh, uh, we're not seeing a level of distress in high yields that we would see with all this talk about recession. You would think that spreads would be blowing out to about 700 to 800 basis points, but they remain inside 500 basis points for high yield. That shows a lot of resiliency uh, for the high yield market and the investment grade market. One thing I would add is the high yield market. If you look at the composition of the names that are in high yield, they're very well capitalized compared to what we saw maybe 10 years ago. So these names are these names are doing all the right things. They have the right uh, balance sheets. They're ready to weather any kind of storm right now. And I think investors continue to pour money into both investment grade and high yield corporate bonds. Uh, one point you mentioned, uh, George, about Fed Chair Powell um, coming out in his press conference and saying that you know, the banking sector is sound and resilient, quote, unquote. Uh, I think that puts the focus of the Fed back on data. Uh, and that's exactly what Cindy was mentioning, too, that this is going to be meeting to meeting now. Be looking at the data. Uh, Fed Chair Powell did note that tightening in credit conditions and, and any stress in the labor market would be something to look at. But we've had 13 consecutive months of strong jobs numbers. I know that there's some... Uh, you know, revisions that we have to look at for the previous numbers, but today's number is pretty strong. And uh, and it does provide the Fed with some confidence that they can have a soft landing. And it does put this upward pressure on yields. So when we talk about credit spreads being well-behaved, if we translate that and look at how the yield curve is doing, uh, we see a lot of volatility in the yield curve. Uh, right after the statement, we saw yields start to really move lower, especially in the 10-year. The 10-year Treasury uh, yield moved swiftly lower to three. 0.3%. Um, and then we see today's jobs number. So again, the 10-year starts, the yields start moving higher. So now we're at 3.5%. So you're going to see this volatility in the yield curve. And the front end of the curve remains steep. Uh, so the two years margin towards 4%. So you also made a very good point about the disconnect between market anticipation, mar market expectations, and what the Fed is saying. Uh, the market, as you mentioned, continues to think that there's going to be Fed cuts sometime this summer. Uh, when Fed Chair Powell was asked in his press conference, he said they're not thinking about rate cuts right now. That disconnect between what the Fed is saying and what the market is anticipating, it leads to more volatility. And we see that volatility not in credit spreads, but more on the yield curve. I think the other story of the week, Steve, has to do with earnings, uh, corporate earnings. And we've been talking about this for quite some time, too. Just last night, it looked like we got a little better print than from a major uh, major tech company. But what's your read through in earnings, and kind of how we think? How should we think about that for the setup for the second half? Well, I mean, I think that there's there's two stories here. One is that the bar for this quarter's earnings got set so low that it's been pretty easy for companies to climb over it. Um, you know, when you put a broom handle on the ground, it's it you don't have to do 
cartwheels to to get, to get across. Um, and that's kind of where we've been, uh, you know, but it's been interesting to watch numbers come up as we've gone through earnings. That's fairly typical, actually. Um, numbers get marked down coming into the quarter and then they, they get marked up coming out. Um, when you look at forward revenues, revenues are a little bit of a better tell maybe about the, the overall economic situation, the new earnings numbers, because you know, earnings numbers are subject to quote unquote adjustments <laughs> that every company uh, likes to make um, as, as they as they put their books together. Um, and revenue numbers for the year continue to, to, to move lower. So we came into the earnings reporting season with revenues expected to be up 4.4% for the year. And now we're, at, we're halfway through maybe a little more um, and revenue forecasts have been cut down to 4%. So it looks like those are continuing to to decline modestly as we we head into the the the, the mid gear period. So, you know, I think the market is is not really anticipating a huge uh, earnings and and revenue recovery in the second half. I think that the the market's anticipating a, a heavier running scenario for the economy. And what's your read through on the credit sector too? So, you know, we just talked about Lviv and his thoughts, but I know you pay close attention to those things too. Anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my take might be a little bit different than Rajiv's on the on the technicals that are going on there within the high yield CDX. I mean, if you take a look, we've had three down channels now over the last year and a half, and uh, we're right at the top end of the channel. So, 500 basis points, where is exactly where we sit today. Um, if we break out of that to the upside, you could see a move toward 600 very easily, which is the same type of move we've seen over the last two times we've broken out of these channels that we've been into the downside. So like, I think we're kind of at a very key place on the chart, um, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out from here. I, I don't see a, a, a calamity. You know, we, we, we've we not, as Rajiv made the point, you know, we don't see um a blowout here to seven or 800 basis points in the offing, but modest weakening here in the face of you know, what we're dealing with in terms of banking sector stress and other things um, is, is not uh, out of the realm of possibility. So Jordan, with that in mind, a couple other topics, uh, more on the banking sector, where do you think we're headed? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? And then also what's happening on the debt ceiling? Yeah, I was just going to chime in on the banking situation for a second. I mean, you know, when you take a look at these these timelines on these banking crises, it's always the same thing, right? So first, it's one bad bank or bad apple, then it's a couple more, um, and then we get somebody come out and say banking system is strong, um, and then we get to the point where they're talking about evil short sellers and instituting a ban on shorting. That's the part of the cycle where we're at today. I mean, we're talking about banning shorts. Um, the next part of the cycle is that doesn't work. Um, then we talk about maybe cutting rates and that won't work. Then there's a panic and then everything gets changed and all the bad assets get brought onto the central bank's balance sheet and then the banking crisis is over. So if, if we follow that entire pattern, again, we're about halfway through this. Now, whether they, the, the regulators can uh, come up with a solution that's going to cause that to that pattern not to, to go through, um, that's to be determined. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, up to this point, I haven't seen uh, any inkling out of the activity from them that says that they're going to come up with a solution that's going to say that we're not going to go through this cycle like we always have in the past. 
Yeah, you, you're right to, to, to point that out, Steve, and you, Brian, also are right to kind of connect that to the debt ceiling because it does kind of come at a time where policymakers have a lot of their plate and they can only probably really focus on one thing, one crisis, at least at one time. And again, I probably suggest that's going to be a reason why, you know, we, we still think we want to be neutral towards risk, right? I mean, there's there's always a chance that things could snap back pretty quickly. I mean, there, as you pointed out, Steve, somebody could kind of snap their fingers and maybe change some regulation or do something kind of quickly um, in the form of trying to stimulate this, this situation again, and markets could respond very quickly on the positive um, without, without really much notice or hesitation. So again, the overall view I think we want to be is, is neutral towards risk. If we do, you know, kind of start to continue to see some flows, kind of push allocations down on equities, um, it's probably a bit too early to buy in a big way. Um, not to say that I'm a screaming bear, but I think we'd probably be a little bit more cautious about jumping in things and just buying dips for the sake of buying dips. Um, but if nothing else, I think it really does underscore our focus on quality. I mean, we've been focusing a lot on quality assets with insider equity portfolios for a long time. Same thing that you've done, Rajiv, on our fixed income portfolios. And finding things to do there from a quality perspective make a lot of sense. You know, the debt ceiling is something that is a man-made event, right? This is something that kind of, frankly, we've actually kind of um, been in this situation over 100 times since we first put the debt ceiling uh, measure in place. So I do suggest that we might probably go right to the brink and then kind of pull ourselves right over the, uh, before we go to the edge, we'll pull ourselves back, I should say. But, you know, again, I think these things are gonna be fraught with a lot of uncertainty and some tension here and there. There's, my, I guess my, my, my thinking right now is that I think we're gonna see, you know, probably some extension here uh, and then maybe some modest raise. And then we'll probably have to do this, you know, three or four months from now again, or maybe you know, sometime over the next year. But um, you know, again, I, overall, I think that this is going to be a time that you really want to emphasize quality assets, quality balance sheets, uh, and really kind of maintaining that overall neutral position towards risk in general. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Steve, Rajiv, and Cindy. We appreciate your perspectives, and thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app, and as always. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.